From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny, recording remotely with my colleague, Benta Berkland. Hi, Andy. Didn't expect to be here with you this week. Nobody did. Hello. Um, the truth is that we just can't quit. It's our second bonus episode. Our bonus, bonus episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, uh, we're back because the governor called a special legislative session. Polis brought state lawmakers back to the Capitol in Denver to pass what turned out to be a little more than $300 million to help different industries and individuals in the state that have been impacted by the pandemic. And just as quickly as it started, it is already over. But it was a very interesting three days in the Capitol. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, you were in the Capitol uh, heroically doing the in-person reporting. I was sitting at home with my newborn infant who uh, did not want to go to the Capitol. I don't blame her for that. (laughs) No, and I didn't either. So let's talk about what this session actually told us about the rest of the pandemic, what they did, and what we can expect in the regular session that starts in just about a month. So what was even more controversial, interestingly enough, than any individual policy was probably the way that the lawmakers were actually behaving and the questions of public health measures, stuff like mask wearing, testing. And we we saw a little bit of a divide over that and some some real drama inside the building. I mean, that's absolutely right. There was broad bipartisan support for these funding measures. But I think these sharp divisions over COVID-19 safety precautions um, you know, we're we're vastly, you know, this vast schism, and I think it's representative of the country as a whole. There's mm. deep, deep disagreements on the pandemic, how to move forward, how to keep yourself safe. And so we saw, you know, we did see a lot of lawmakers wear masks. They're recommended, but not required for legislators on mm-hmm. the chamber floors and in the building. And then there was also rapid COVID-19 testing that's required for staff but not required, but recommended for lawmakers. Mm. So uh, we only have one physician in the legislature. That's Democratic Representative Yadira Caraveo. She's a pediatrician. And she told me right after the session wrapped that she was disappointed when she saw many of her colleagues, and this happened especially in the House, not wearing masks. Even even at our peak, um, people are still not taking it seriously um, and in a very, very public manner, um, um, still being partisan um, about something that should be scientific fact. Um, And I'm sure that that's going to happen around the vaccines as well. Um, And so um, I think we're going to be living with coronavirus for a very long time, unfortunately, because of this division. Yeah. So she was on the House floor observing this, uh, watching as her colleagues did or didn't wear masks. And people on Twitter also got a, a little perspective into this conflict when one Democratic representative shared a picture of a Republican representative, Larry Liston, who was on the House floor and, as a joke, I guess, put a mask over the top of his head and it looked like a little blue bonnet. Right. And and actually, I I talked to him and he said it, you know, he says it was not a joke and he wasn't intending it that way at all. He Mm -hmm. said, in fact, he just couldn't speak to his colleague clearly with the mask on. Keep in mind, each desk on the House floor and in the Senate is surrounded by this clear plexiglass. And that was put in place to try to keep it safer. And he he said he wasn't joking. You know, maybe in retrospect, if I put it in my lap, but I didn't, I put it on my head. Um, And uh, in no way was I trying to demean or 
disregard the uh, severity of COVID. That wasn't even what I was talking about, uh, you know, because I fully respect how people feel. Talking to Liston, he was upset that a colleague took a picture of him and said he was mocking something and didn't come talk to him first because there is this unwritten rule that you don't take pictures of colleagues. They're sometimes on the floor till one or two in the morning and you could easily get a picture that makes it seem like someone's not doing their job or tired when it's really just a snapshot. Now, a lot of Democrats feel differently about Liston's behavior. This is happening in a building that is kind of obsessed with decorum. You know, there's all kinds of rules about what you can wear, when you need to wear a coat, where you can sit, where you can be. So I think that we're seeing some real kind of societal divisions over mask wearing and basic public health protocols surface in these kind of debates and little spats between the lawmakers on the floor. And, you know, to Representative Kathy Kipp, who was the one who posted this viral photo of of Liston with the mask on his head, she said that it was almost indecent that so many Republican lawmakers were not willing to abide by the simple request to wear a mask. And Andy, adding to that point, um, we saw Democrats doing selfies with their masks and and wearing wristbands that show they've taken COVID tests. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not as many Republicans did that, but I I don't want to make it seem like None of the Republicans were wearing masks. A lot of them were wearing masks. A handful of them got the COVID-19 tests. But here's one little example that really stood out to me. I talked to a Democratic senator who said she was treating this session as um, that she would be in contact with COVID. So she's home now and her husband moved in with his mom for two weeks. So she's you know living alone away from her husband after this session. On the opposite end, I talked to a Republican who's not going to wear a mask, didn't wear one in the building, um, and isn't planning to, Hmm. and said that now that the treatments for COVID-19 are better, he will be okay with, and in some sense, actually hopes he does get coronavirus so he can build up immunity. And of course, that would not be the advice of your mainstream doctors. The, you know, the mainstream medical community is going to tell you to avoid contact with covid Try not to stick around the state capitol building for any longer than you need to and wear a mask while you're in it. But I wonder what this will look like for the next session. You know, they have to be back in this building in just a month and they have to get along. Right. And I mean, this was basically two and a half days. And one thing about this session, when I was walking around the building, it was still desolate because none of the lobbyists were there. As you know, Andy, that building is you know hundreds of lobbyists. Yeah. These bills weren't controversial and they were already kind of done ahead of time for the most part. In a session, there's hundreds of bills. I've talked to lobbyists. They're going to be in the Capitol. You know, depending upon if there's a huge uptick in cases, you know, Caraveo says she does not think it's going to be safe for so many people to be in that building. We'll just see if, you know, if they are going to have the four-month session as planned. That's right. So they will be back in January And they would be expected normally to be in session for four months due to the normal work of the state legislature passing a budget, passing all these laws. But they do have the option now to potentially break that up into, you know, come in for a week, come back later, try to get a handle on the outbreak, depending on where it is. So they may they may have to embrace some alternative lawmaking strategies when they come back to the building next year. Yeah, that's right. The court ruled that under this extraordinary pandemic, they had the ability to not have the 120 days be consecutive. And so that was a significant decision. And also, a lot more lawmakers are working remotely. And the legislature expanded 
remote testimonies so people can testify on bills from their own home by logging into their computer. That wasn't the case before. But I don't think we're going to see, and I haven't heard this from anyone, that we would see a fully remote session like uh, some other states have done. There's not the political support for that Hmm. from members of either party. Yeah, it'll be uh, something to watch. They managed to keep it together for two and a half days, both their, their tempers and hopefully the coronavirus could be a different story when they have a lot more work to do. So COVID questions aside, on the other hand, the actual policymaking went pretty smoothly, right? Polis set these priorities coming in about what he wanted to see funded and done. We knew pretty well what the bills were going to be a week before the special session started. And for the most part, lawmakers in both parties rolled along with them. Yeah, I think that's right. There was there was a lot of consensus that if the state could do something, the state should do something. And they had this additional money because state income tax revenue was higher than they had projected. And so this extra money normally would have gone into a state savings account. So that, you know, they had this money and they really wanted to, to target uh, businesses that have been really hit by capacity restrictions. So, you know, restaurants and then other people who are dealing with, you know, rental assistance, public health, utilities. And so they did keep to that. You know, you can call the session on on certain topics and you really have to, to stay to what those topics are. I'm pretty sure it's impossible legally to pass a bill faster than they actually did. You need it right. on three separate days. Yeah. And they did it so fast that there was a typo in one of the 10 bills that they passed. Oh, really? Uh-huh. The word available was spelled wrong. <laughs> Transfer to make money available <laughs> for COVID-19, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it, it couldn't get fixed. It showed up again and again. So that was the legislature working in a way that you may never really see. And they said that it was important to do that quickly, by the way, because we're not necessarily seeing a federal stimulus package just yet. We're not mm-hmm. getting a ton of backup. And this next wave is hitting pretty hard. But that's not to say that there wasn't any debate about these laws. Yeah, that's right. And I think there's some discomfort. We heard from Republicans that the package of bills and these proposals pick winners and losers in the business community and in other areas of society and leaves out entire industries and that that shouldn't be the role of the government right now. And I heard across the political spectrum, you know, this is a drop in the bucket. And lawmakers may have different perspectives on how much a federal stimulus package should be and where that should be distributed and all of that. Yeah. But I don't I don't think anyone sees this as this cure-all for what's happening right now. Well, the pushback to that from Polis and, and the Democrats and probably even some of the Republican leaders was that they did have to kind of pick and choose. Mm-hmm. The state government's not the federal government. They don't have billions upon billions of dollars to to spend. And you can see in the priorities that it is arguably people and businesses and organizations that were directly affected. It's the restaurants that can't get all the way open. It's uh, 50 or $60 million to help people pay housing bills that they may not be able to pay in the next couple months. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the message was get us through this COVID winter. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, one thing, you know, speaking of the governor, we've, we continued to hear Republicans say that you know, they're concerned about his use of executive power over this many months. You know, we've mm. seen in this declared state of emergency, he has the ability to do a lot of things he can't do when we're not in this declared state of emergency. And so I, I don't see that changing, but those kind of powers just keep getting extended. And uh, some Republicans are wondering how long that, that that'll be the case. 
Yeah, that was that was one of the subjects that Republicans like Senate Minority Leader Chris Holbert did raise was trying to get some traction on the idea that they want to rein in polis. But it's been kind of a, a, a careful dance that they're doing because at least, you know, in the Senate, the, the more moderate Republicans don't want to go totally to war with polis. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, there was some moments of, of fairly loaded rhetoric that we heard, especially in the House. Um, one that comes to mind that I watched live over YouTube, you know, was the um, the question of whether funding should go to counties that are not obeying the public health orders. This is one of the most interesting questions to come up. Yeah, I think I think that was fascinating that, you know, Democrats added this amendment to say if money is flowing through counties to help businesses, counties have to try to be implementing public health uh, safeguards. And this was part of the small business grant bill that's going to that's going to send you know, tens of millions of dollars out to restaurants and others. That was probably one of the most heated policy questions of this entire thing. And it led to this moment where Representative Dave Williams, he's a Republican out of Colorado Springs, where he stood up at the dais and, and said, essentially, that people should disobey the government. Hmm. I think we've come to a point where we are uh, beginning to see the bubbling of soft tyranny. And this bill, I am afraid, will encourage that. It, the tyranny part of it. And so, yeah, I do believe that there should be more counties and more municipalities and more businesses that do engage in civil disobedience and do tell the governor, do tell CDPHE and the other experts that, you know what, this isn't working for me. I'm going to continue to serve the customers in the way that they should be served because it's their livelihood that's on the line here. I I mean, I think you you have perspectives like Williams and then other people are pushing Polis to issue a statewide stay-at-home order, which he's reluctant to do. So, you know, Polis has been, uh, I I think we've heard from him, trying to support businesses, trying to to keep the state, you know, keep things contained, but but not going too far. Um, And so he's he's getting criticism and and I think support from all sides, too. I mean, I've, I've heard both. I have heard Republicans say they were glad he called this special session and include the legislature and other Republicans have said they're glad he hasn't issued mm-hmm. another stay-at-home order. So um, there's just so many things to balance at this moment in time. Yeah. So speaking of balancing, what ultimately happened with that question of whether to send money to the rebellious counties was that they they found something of a compromise or they kind of softened this policy where they weren't going to send the money. And they said that they would send the money to individual cities and they would even allow the money to go to businesses if they were just kind of near the city, um, even if the county itself is disobeying the public health orders. So that's a way of saying that if you're in Greeley or near Greeley, you can get the money because Greeley's in line with public health orders, even though the county of Weld is not. Hmm. So probably most businesses in Weld County would qualify for this. Exactly. There's not going to be that many in unincorporated Weld County, a mile away from Greeley. Um, So that was just such an interesting kind of thing they had to negotiate where Democrats were saying they didn't want to basically uh, send this money to help out businesses in in counties that were going against the grain. And they, they said that other businesses that are actually following the public health orders need it more. Republicans were saying, you're, you're punishing us, you're coercing us. And just a collision of these health orders and the money they're sending out turned into a whole complicated question. 
But in each episode of Furbelish, we do like to highlight a moment that made us pause and scratch our heads and say, wait, what, 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 And in this case, it came in a press conference where Governor Polis was discussing everything that had happened in the special session. The context that you need to know is that Governor Polis is recovering along with his partner, Marlon Reese, from COVID-19, and they're doing okay. But Polis needs to physically sign these 10 bills that were passed mm-hmm. so that they become law. And that's kind of a complicated question. You can't use a e-signature for that, right? It has to be a, an actual pen to paper. Actual pen to paper. That's right. And so he, he stopped unprompted in this press conference to explain to all of us exactly what he was going to do. I will take them out of an envelope in privacy, sign them, put them in an, in an envelope, spray the envelope with Lysol, <laughs> and then uh, using gloves, give it back to a state trooper. So that's how we're going to get that done. Uh, in a safe way. I would just, I would love to see the picture frame and audio of like the step-by-step of Polis like spraying this envelope with Lysol. Yes. (laughs) So he said that with a straight face. I think he was completely serious. Um, You know, Polis had had a press conference the day before where he appeared virtually with Dr. Anthony Fauci, the national expert on coronavirus. And I kind of wonder if Polis didn't ask him about what to do with these bills and how to safely sign them. Yeah. And I I can't imagine Fauci's ever had that question before. How do I sign a bill into law when I'm in quarantine? I don't think anybody has. I think uh, the governor will only be in quarantine for a few more days. But like we said, they are rushing to get these things passed. And so sometimes you have to spray Lysol on your bills. (laughs) That's part of how a bill becomes a law now. That is it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny with my colleague Benta Berkland. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Benta Berkland. And I am at Andy K-N-N-Y. You know, we're not planning to be back in your podcast feeds next week. Not expecting a double special session or a triple bonus episode. As far as we know, we will return in January with the regular session. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News.